Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 14. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Join me and my two co-hosts, James Sumners and Sam Dominguez, as we discuss the question, what made the Bereans so noble? The Crosstalk Podcast is not a sermon, a Bible class, or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope you'll find edifying and that will encourage you to have these types of spiritual conversations with people in your life. And now let's jump right into the conversation. I've been thinking about how we, how I typically apply Acts 17.11, that the Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and we, I usually apply that simply to say that their nobility was about their searching the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true, and and even to the extent that I have used that verse to applaud being extremely skeptical about preachers and teachers until I can prove that what they're saying is true. So in other words, I assume that people are lying or teaching something that's false if I've never heard it before, unless I can prove or until I can prove that it's true by the word. And so I have at least assumed some nobility in those that are overly critical and overly suspicious and skeptical of preachers and teachers, when really going back and reading that verse in context, it really struck me that what Luke was commending in the Jews at Berea was that they weren't like the Jews in Thessalonica. Not It didn't have anything to do with, I mean, it does have something to do with their searching the scriptures, but primarily it's about the fact that the Jews in Thessalonica, they they incited a riot against Paul and they went into Jason's and they drug Jason out. And I mean, they weren't willing to give Paul the time of day to listen to what he had to say. They weren't willing to to give him the benefit of the doubt. They weren't willing to say, okay, let's hear your teaching and then examine it in light of Scripture to see that if, if it was true. The Jews in Berea were noble because they eagerly received the word and they searched the Scriptures to see if those things were true. It, their nobility had just as much to do with their eagerness to listen to Paul as it did their willingness to search the Scriptures to see if it was true. Interestingly, I would say that uh, perhaps... A lot of our uh, attempts at study with uh, members of denominations, uh, other preachers, different things like that, we have a tendency to uh, ascribe to ourselves nobility for the fact that we presume from the get-go that their understanding of some scripture must be incorrect, and thus we are going to demonstrate to them their incorrectness. And all of that may be true in the sense that they, they may be incorrect in their understanding. They, they may need somebody to uh, show them the truth. But it, it seems like we would be a lot more noble if we were open to discussing spiritual matters with people. Anybody who wanted to discuss a spiritual matter uh, openly and honestly, and if, if we reference the scripture, yeah, let's verify that it's true. Let's let's make sure that we have a proper understanding, all of us together, because mm-hmm. we're all seeking the truth. But that doesn't tend to be the attitude we take into it. We, we you know, can't come in carrying the mantle of the Bereans in order to incite a riot and throw you out of the house like the mm-hmm. Thessalonians. And so it, it's, uh, it, it's often not so much when preachers attribute that nobility to us, but when we claim the mantle for ourselves mm-hmm. that we go wrong. So many times we we're not willing to have the patience to just listen to what someone has to say. For example, someone may say something and, and 
Sam has seen me argue with my boss about stuff um, where we're basically saying the same thing, but we're not listening to each other. Um, and and when you and that happens many times when someone's speaking and they're saying something in a way that we're not accustomed to, or in a way that may may shock our minds to a certain degree, but we're not willing to actually listen to the whole of what they're saying. It's it's just like anything in the Bible. We can't take out of context um, specific passages and and remove them from the the entirety of the Bible and. and we can't just listen to the first thing that a preacher says or a teacher says and then immediately just ignore the rest of what they say. We have to pay attention to all of what they say. And then, and then sometimes we may even need to, to take time to, uh, to be willing to correct um, when you hear things like uh, when you read about Priscilla and Aquila, mm-hmm. how they heard um, Apollos teach. And they knew that he taught that he he loved God, and they took him aside, and they they taught him the way more correctly. Um, they didn't. You don't get the idea that they said, "Well, Apollos, you're completely wrong. You're an idiot, and you're a fool for talking this way, because uh, you're completely wrong. You need to fix this." Um, but their attitude seems to be one that says, "You know, this is a servant of God. He's just teaching. He just needs to learn a little bit more about what he needs to teach." And so that's what they do. And, you know, I think back to, and and obviously, it, it's really easy to look at the past and think, well, it was such a utopia back then, um, and, and look at the past and, and think, well, they were just so much better than we are now, uh, you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago or whatever. But but I do think about the, the willingness to open ourselves up for debate um, in the church, uh, but also all religious-minded people seemed a lot more willing to not, when we think of debate now, we think, well, I'm going to prove that you're wrong. But it, it seems like that people were a whole lot more willing to say, let's let's find out, let's discuss this. I'll present my side, you present your side, and we'll come to a better understanding of what the truth is. I mean, that's something that you, we've talked about several times, you know, that Chesterton, what was it that he said, Sam, about, I put you on the spot, asking for a quote, but. Uh, arguing is disagreeing with the point of coming to agreement. Right. I mean, that, that the idea of coming to an agreement, that we, we honestly want to agree. We want to come to the same understanding. And if it's your understanding, fine. Then show me how that's the right understanding. If it's mine, fine. Um, and I think that that's the nobility of the Bereans, is that they were willing to have that discussion. They were willing to say, okay, if this Jesus guy is the Messiah, then then teach us. Show us in Scripture how he fulfills the the Messianic promises. And if that's true, then we're willing to accept that. Uh, the, those in Thessalonica weren't willing to upset the apple cart. They weren't willing to, uh, for the status quo to be, to be upset. And so when people started to believe Paul, uh, they ran him out of town, you know? I think most of us are terrified of the idea of just having spiritual discussions with people uh, with whom we may have fundamental disagreements because we're terrified of the idea, and, and, and of course the problem is that we tend to approach discussions like this uh, deliberately in the way of thinking, well, your entire spirituality, your entire understanding of religion is this house of cards, and if I manage to get you into a mm-hmm. spiritual discussion and I manage to yank that one card out, boom, the whole thing's going to come crashing down. And so rather than risk that, we don't want to have any discussions at all. Now, mind you, there are certain fundamental truths that could, in fact, bring your entire spirituality or entire religion come crashing down if that has been the foundation, the incorrect foundation that you've built upon. 
But if what we want is truth, if we want to be right with God, then I need to look at my spirituality and say, man, if that thing is a house of cards, I do want it yanked down Mm -hmm. because I want to build on the one true foundation. The problem with most spiritual discussions is we're not seeking truth. You know, it, we're, we're seeking territory control based on who, who controls this argument and that and the other thing, and, and no one is approaching the matter to say, well, let's just, let's just talk about this until we come to a better understanding, because that requires me admitting I don't have potentially a, a, the correct understanding, and so let, let's just ignore that possibility altogether. So really, what, when it comes down to, to a certain degree is that usually when we have spiritual discussions, especially with people who we we think we probably disagree with from the beginning usually what we do is um we um we we come with the intent to correct and show you that I'm right and you're wrong rather than just say hey let's let's discuss together um and let's i mean to a certain degree maybe we need to be um ready and willing and desiring to teach but at the same time, I need to be willing to listen so that I can learn. Um, in case, in the case that I'm not, um, that that my thinking is incorrect. And I think we we still have to have conviction. I think that uh, the the modern world is pushing us to to be without conviction. They would love for us to just say, "Well, everybody's right and nobody's wrong." Well, I mean that that's that's ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense. Um, you know, the the law of non-contradiction says that that can't be true. It can't be true that something is and is not at the same time. And so there is right and there is wrong, there is truth and there is error. Um, and, and we ought to be able to to have a conviction about things while at the same time having the humility to admit that even our our most dearly held convictions could be wrong and that we're willing to change those things if we're shown if we're shown the truth i mean think about how amazing that was when you had first century jews that believed that we are the chosen people of god because we are jews and there really is no place in the kingdom of god for gentiles unless they become proselyte jews for them to so radically be transformed by the gospel to say, you know what, I was wrong about that. That fundamental core understanding about who God is and who Israel is, for them to so radically shift to say, I'm going to accept as my brother, my new Israelite brother, into the family of God, I'm going to accept this Gentile and accept the fact that God I and he are just as saved, just as reconciled, just as justified as one another. I mean, that was an that was a huge paradigm shift for for all of the Jews in the first century, for a lot of them anyway. Well, it it makes me wonder um, how much similarity there really is between um, Paul teaching uh, to Jews about Christianity and what what this obviously equates to in our minds, which is different factions of Christianity mm-hmm. talking amongst themselves. Because when, when Paul would go to the Jews and teach them Christ, he was not teaching them Judaism as a whole is wrong. Mm-hmm. He is saying, this is the fulfillment of that. Judaism was waiting and leading to the Messiah. This is the Messiah. Christianity is the next step of Judaism. Mm-hmm. He wasn't saying, do away with all of your history. Now, he might have been informing them of your understanding of Judaism and being the people of God was incorrect, 
but he was not saying, well, everything you've ever done with your life and everything your ancestors lived for, poem, just dump it into mm-hmm. the trash because Christ, you should have been a Christian from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Well, no. If they hadn't known Christ, what they would know is Judaism. And a lot of times we we uh, we approach that that mentality of the person who professes Christ and yet has mistaken understanding well, what we're trying to do is burn their entire house down and say, well, you've been wrong from the get-go, and, you know, let's let's back you all the way up to, to ground zero, um, rather than saying, and let's come to a better understanding. Let's mm-hmm. take the next step. Uh, you know, we, we don't give any people, and we don't give each other a lot of times uh, the opportunity to say, well, yeah, th- this is an incorrect understanding. You need a better or more mature understanding, or I need a better and more mature understanding. That does not mean my my other understandings are all automatically forfeit. Mm-hmm. It means that on this thing, I need a better understanding, and we come together to a better understanding of the truth. But we we tend to approach it in a in a much more hostile way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it comes down to humility. Do I really? Do I consider my my brothers um, more than myself? Do I consider others more than myself? Do I, I mean, we often try to build ourselves up instead of humbly submit ourselves to each other um, uh, to the degree that, that we, we basically come off and may, may build up a self-righteousness rather than remembering that the only righteousness I have comes from Christ. So many times we, we, and I say we, I mean me, I think that I've got it right, and and so that makes me right in what I say, mm-hmm. that I'm living right with God, and it's like, no, God makes me right with him. I mean, yes, I'm following his way, and I'm trying to live according to his will, and I'm trying to do what's right um, in, uh, according to his way, what he's set before us, but, but still I need to remember to humble myself and understand I am only righteous because he has made me righteous. And if and and if I need something corrected, if if part of my foundation needs to be fixed, then I need to be willing to do what it takes to fix my foundation. If I have if I have an understanding that, you know, maybe my foundation is good, but there are parts of my my teaching or parts of my understanding that are causing other problems, I need to correct them and I need to be willing to rebuild my house. Uh, to a certain degree, so that I can, um, so that I can maintain a, a, a proper teaching, a proper example, a proper life that shows the truth of God, not just what I think about God and what I've come to understand up to this point, and I'm not going to continue to grow after that. And that's why our core, our, like Sam said, you know, the the house of cards, everything else in a sense is 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 the cards you know what is core is jesus you know what is core is the cross and, and that's where that's where our righteousness comes from that's where our justification comes from not because i'm a perfect bible student or because i have a perfect understanding or because i'm perfectly following in every aspect of my life but so often that's what gives us confidence what gives us confidence uh, and and what our foundation really is, if we're honest about it, is our own rightness. And so if someone approaches us and says, I think that you're wrong about this, then then like you said, it's it's pulling down the entire house of cards. It it says you're it, it burns the whole place to the ground. Um, but if they say, Listen, you're you're 
you're a Christian or, or you're, you're on the right track or you're moving in the right direction, whatever it may be. Um, but, but I want to like Priscilla and Aquila did, you know, with Apollos, as you referenced earlier, you know, I want to clarify something for you. I want to help you come to a better understanding. We ought to embrace that. But if we have to admit that we're wrong and if our wrongness, you know, completely deflates us, it just proves that our, our confidence is in the wrong place in the, in the first place. And we need to be willing to, I mean, a lot of times we think about being being like Priscilla and Aquila rather than being like Apollos. Right. We don't we don't really talk about Apollos very much because we don't really know a whole lot about him. And but but at the same point, you you understand that he comes to a point where he's he's very confidently preaching the word of God, and he gets corrected. And what we know is that he changes and he starts to teach the way correctly. And uh, I think that's the kind of heart that we need to have is the recognition that I'm here preaching the word of God. It doesn't matter if if someone corrects me, I need to take that and say, let's examine this and understand it and and, and make sure that that's correct. And then if that's correct, it doesn't matter what I taught before. I need to teach the truth today that I understand. If I don't... Anyway. Well, the the other side that we tend to fall into, the other habit we tend to fall into is uh, if we can't stand the contradiction of saying everybody's right, then we fall into the laziness of saying, well, but we're all equally wrong. Mm-hmm. And none of us can know absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we try and create this fuzzy line of, well, we know there's truth out there, but it's always beyond the horizon. And so let's all just keep trucking toward the setting sun. And sooner or later, Jesus will make it all right for us. And that's that's not at all the example of, mm-hmm. of the Bereans. The example was they went to the scripture to say, "Are these things true?" Period. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there wasn't a uh, you know let's go to the scriptures to find out if this is something we could just continue to talk about, and and then and then I can be right and you can be right, or we can both be wrong and we're all going to be good because we all love God and and it, we need to understand that there there is absolute truth. There mm-hmm. is a correct understanding for each of these things. And it's it's not a failure of God that he doesn't explain these things to us. It is a failure on our part that we are unwilling to, in love, pursue the truth until we find it. Uh, but unfortunately, most of the time, we're, we're not seeking the truth, and we're certainly not approaching it in love. And, and like James said, you know, most of us, are we see ourselves as Priscilla and Aquila, and, and, and it's more like, you know, we're the vultures perched on top of the building waiting to swoop down on the guy as soon as he makes a mistake. And, and it's it's a completely different attitude than of the person who is so in love with the truth of God that he will take it wherever he can find it, but always go back and verify, is this in fact the truth of God? Mm-hmm. And, and it sets up a joyful, positive, optimistic attitude. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, most of us have a sad, pessimistic, joyless attitude about the truth. You know, we've got the the ruler across the knuckles attitude about correctness rather than saying being made more right, being made to understand the truth better is a joyful thing and should bring all happiness to my life. Mm-hmm. And it goes right back to the Bereans and the Thessalonians, um, who re- those who received it with joy, which is the... the in, and then and then examined it, and then those who did not really receive it at all, 
and um, we're like the vultures that you're referring to. And so many times we're more like the Thessalonians, um, the the Jewish Thessalonians, not the not the Christians, the Jewish Thessalonians who said you're challenging too much of what we already believe, and we're not gonna we're not going to even listen or examine. We're gonna do like uh, the guys back when Paul was back when Paul. Uh, is going to uh, kill is with the guys who kill Stephen, and they. Uh, I always get this this image in my head because of the way the scripture res- says it. But they're like they have their ears over their, I mean, their hands over their ears, and they're just like la 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 la, and trying to go kill Stephen. And that's the kind of attitude we sometimes have when someone challenges the things that we that we understand. We we're like little kids who we don't want to hear it. We don't want to. We don't want to even consider what you're saying. We want to do what we've already understood, and we're not going to consider it, and and just and we're going to push on and 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 not uh, listen to that. Well, it's like the. I mean, Jesus told us exactly the way it was always going to be when you spread the gospel. I mean, it, it's like the parable of the of the soils. I like how we've you know started to refer that as opposed to the the parable of the the sower. You know, when the sower sows the seed, it falls on various types of soil and. Uh, th- those in Thessalonica, the Jews in Thessalonica, were like the 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 seed that fell along the path, and the birds came and snatched it up. It never had a chance. It never soaked in. It, they, they never gave it one minute's chance to do its work in their hearts. Uh, but those in Berea were like those that that were planted, and and many of them it sunk so deep that it began to grow, and they matured in their faith. And and that's everything we're talking about is such a difficult thing to. To one, cultivate our heart so that we are receptive when we hear something that we've never heard before or something differs from what we have heard before, that we're we're receptive to that, that we're also willing to to search it out, to, to examine it, to see if it's true, to be confident and bold when we have the truth, yet at the same time be gentle and loving and willing to listen to others who differ with us. I mean, all of these things, it's like the things we've talked about, you know, so many times on this podcast that that it's almost holding things with two hands. You know, I think, Sam, you said something like that before. You know, it's, it's we've got to, it, the, the balance that we try to strike as Christians is not a mediocrity. It's not a watering down of two different positions, but it's a fullness of two positions. It's both a boldness and a willing to a willingness to correct and rebuke when that needs to happen, and also a willingness to be receptive and and listening. And it's like, well, you can't be both. You you can't be a bold teacher and also uh, an active listener. And Scripture says, yeah, absolutely, you can. Well, I mean, we 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 once again try and read our human weaknesses, weaknesses that we get all too comfortable with into the scripture where the scripture says you need to be one way and we uh, find it difficult. And so then we say, well, God doesn't ask us to do difficult things. And so we obviously can't hold that position. So obviously the scripture means something else. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we start creating all of these complex, bizarre interpretations of how God actually wants us to be based on our our limited experience of attempting to do what God wants and finding it to be exceptionally difficult. But it tends to be that we're we're looking way too far down the road with things rather than just waking up in the morning and saying, I'm going to be obedient today. I'm going to focus on the truth of God today. If I have a spiritual discussion with someone today, I'm going to pursue the truth. And you know th- there are certain world religions that that hinge entirely on on 
blasphemy. The idea of if such a uh, incorrect statement escapes someone's lips, that's it. Mm-hmm. You burn the place down. You take their life, whatever it ends up being. And we can almost get into that type of attitude where if someone says something incorrect from the pulpit, boom, everything spins into chaos uh, rather than just simply saying, well, sometimes incorrect things are going to be said. Oh, the incorrect things are going to be thought and understood. And so long as the goal is all that we are pursuing truth, then on the whole, we will work together toward the truth. Uh, you know, we can't have a strong evangelism and a strong uh, ability to convict people and convert people if if we are then intolerable to the idea that someone might be incorrect in their thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can't understand uh, maturity in Christ and spiritual maturity if we can't tolerate the idea of someone holding an incorrect position that they then have to mature out of and understand out of. Uh, and so, once again, while we, we have this idea that, well, we can't do these these two seemingly contradictory things that God wants us to do, we then espouse a blatant contradiction mm-hmm. of babes in Christ, but don't ever show that you, you have a mistaken understanding, because then we're going to pounce on you, and we're going to rip you to shreds, you know, kind of a thing. And that's one reason why I think that in the church today, uh, in, in the New Testament church, we have such a divide, because for so long we've told people, well, you don't bring that up. We don't discuss that. You're wrong. That that viewpoint is wrong, and we're not going to discuss it. Well, I mean, you might be right. That viewpoint might be 100% totally wrong, but if you don't discuss it, if you don't drag it out into the light and say, well, I don't know, let's talk about that. That's, a, that's an interesting thought. I remember when I was a kid, I remember asking my parents questions about instrumental music, and um, I mean, I thought I had them stumped. You know, I mean, I thought I had them. I thought, well, I've got some good things here, and I thought I could prove that that we could use instruments in the, in, in the assembly. I'm so thankful that they were willing to say, well, let's talk about that. Let's let's examine that. I've never heard that argument before, they'd say, and and let's let's examine that. And now I I can't imagine holding that viewpoint. But I was I was greeted with receptivity and willingness to discuss those things. And and for so long in the church, that's what we had. That's the kind of environment that we had, and we were all able to hold a, a wonderful unity. Uh, because we were willing to discuss things and examine them in light of Scripture lovingly and kindly, eagerly even, uh, but but we weren't willing to to compromise. We weren't willing to say, "Well, that's okay. You just hold that view." You know, I, I disagree with you, but just hold that view. No, let's let's disagree with the intent that we're going to come to the same understanding. That's the idea of restoration, right? Um, the restoration movement came from groups of people who were not satisfied with with the the doctrines of of uh, denominations that that were not according to the Bible, and they were people who wanted to restore their faith back to what is in the Bible and what the Bible teaches. And that's the way we should be, like Sam was saying earlier, when we wake up in the morning, we should be res- restorationists. Mm-hmm. In the morning when we wake up, when we, when we uh, eat our breakfast, when we're eating lunch, throughout the day we are restoring ourselves and saying, I am going to live sinless today. I messed up. Lord, forgive me. Help me to correct the mistake that I've just made. Help me today to live the rest of the day sinless. I, I appreciate one of our deacons here who's who says who's often said that he has tried to use the philosophy that, that we're talking about, or not philosophy, but anyway, this idea of when he wakes up in the morning, he says, 
I am going to live sinless today. And he starts off the day thinking that way and understanding that God gives us the ability to do so. And and we start off the day by, by choosing to set our minds on things above and live sinless and, and be able to. And, and what, what all that will do is, is also make us to where we think. We're thinking humbly. We're thinking right ways so that we can be receptive of other people, that we can be able to have these conversations and not be self-righteous and thinking, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna get you anyway. I, I, think, I, I think it really does boil down to just an inherent laziness that we all have because it is difficult and time-consuming to constantly be educating people about the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we what we would prefer is to say, oh, I, I got the right answer that time. Well, I'm done. I don't have to think about that question anymore. You know, we want it to be, you know, homework from school kind of thing mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, as soon as I get the right answer on that, I never have to think about fractions again mm-hmm. the rest of my life. And then, you know, you, you get a little older and you have to calculate a fraction on something. And you're like, ooh, uh, I haven't thought about this since I was in elementary school. You suddenly realize, oh, I don't know how to do it. I don't know the truth. And a lot of times as Christians, we don't want to show our work. We don't want to be proficient at the the task at hand. You know, we want the truth. We want the reward. We want the the accomplishment at the end of the struggle, but we don't want to demonstrate what God actually wants us to have, which is discernment over right and wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go back to the Old Testament, that was the, the task of the priests, was to teach people to discern between right and wrong. That didn't mean what you have to do is build up a wall so that they never hear anything incorrect. What it was is, well, you teach them how to discern the truth, and then they can be confronted with an untruth and see their way through it. Mm-hmm. You have to enjoy the task. You know, we all want the weight loss, but we don't want the exercise. Well, I'm sorry if if uh, you know my life demonstrates if you don't like the exercise, if you don't like the process, you're never going to get the end result. But what we really want to do is say, oh hey, you know what? I've got a friend who's physically fit and he's an athlete, and I'm just gonna by association with him. Be physically fit and athlete. <laughs> I know Wes. He knows the truth. So by association, I can say, "Well, Wes is my preacher, thus I'm right." <laughs> and that doesn't get us anywhere. You know, we, what we need to do is be able to discern the truth, and that takes effort. That takes work, and it takes every single day getting up and saying, "I'm going to discern the truth today." Not, "I'm going to remember these preconceived truths that I already have," or "I'm going to remember the list that I've been given by so and so." It's today I will discern the truth. And that's funny you said the list given by so-and-so, because all throughout what you were just saying, I was thinking about, back to what James said about the restoration movement, and you think about the way that denominations have have operated with things like creeds, and that's basically what it is. It's, we have it all figured out, we've figured out what's right and what's wrong, what's orthodox and what's, what's heresy, and we've written all those things down, and we've made a short little cheat sheet for you, and, and here's the list of things. Don't question it, don't think about it, don't argue with it, don't pre- anything contrary to this. I don't care what you think you see in Scripture. I don't care what you think about anything. You just preach what's on that piece of paper. And and you had preachers, like in the Presbyterian Church, like uh, Thomas and Alexander Campbell, and they got extremely frustrated with that because they were trying to preach the truth, yet it went against what 
they the the Presbyterian Church said we we've already got this figured out. Stop trying to stop trying to to fix it. It's not broken. And they were saying yes, it really is. It's not biblical. It's not. This isn't what Scripture says. And get back to those things. And so when they broke away from those denominational groups and they said we just want to be Christians, a lot of what they believed and understood at that time, I would totally disagree with now. But they set in motion a freedom to to seek the truth and hold it tight. And that is so very difficult. And and it's easy for any of us to slip back into a denominational mindset where we say, no, 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 stop. In fact, I, you know, I, I oversaw or I saw some younger preachers and older preachers kind of interacting one time on Facebook. And one of the older preachers said, I get so frustrated with you younger preachers that keep questioning these things that was all it was all settled. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever. We, we we had these debates 50 years ago, and it's all been settled. So you just need to stop it. And it's like, wait a second. <laughs> Who said we can't think about it too? Who said we can't? If it's truth, if what the conclusions you came to was biblical truth, then that's the same conclusions we'll get to too. Help us get there by showing us, like you said, showing your work. Show us how you got there. Show us how you came to those conclusions. But we, we can never stop having these conversations. It never ends because we're all constantly on a journey seeking the truth. And how does the next generation learn? I mean, you look at the Israelites. They're, a lot of the travesty of their relationship with God has to do with the fact that they didn't do what God said, which was, Teach your children the way. Mm-hmm. Teach them when you're in, when you're walking on the road, when you sit down, when you get up, when you go to bed. All the time, the word of God should be in your mouth, and it should be in your head and coming out in your mouth. Talking about it, expressing it, living it, so that everybody knows this word. And if we're not living that way and not examining the truth, then then we can't we can't have that truth you can't understand the truth unless you understand the process by which it was determined to be true mm-hmm. if you don't have that understanding then you don't know the truth you might have the correct answer but you don't know the truth that's why we go back to the scripture and whenever the apostles or disciples or anybody was teaching Christ what do they do they go back and they teach him from the beginning mm-hmm. they start with the prophets they go back and explain how the scripture demonstrates Christ. They didn't just stand up and say, Christ, dude, we figured this out before. It's no, let's go into the scripture. It's the Bereans, let's go into the scripture. Well, what scripture were they looking into? They weren't looking into the New Testament. They were looking into the prophets. They were looking into what they had had written down by Moses, and they were finding Christ from that. For us to then come to people and say, Christ, with no expectation of, and I'm going to show you how we have determined this to be true. We even come to people and we say, the Bible, with absolutely no ability and no willingness to explain to them how we know it to be true. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, oh, well, you don't agree that the Bible is truth? Well, then I can't convert you. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's a pretty big you know first step you have to force people to have already made without you if you're going to take that approach, you know? We, we just have to recognize that you can't understand the truth unless you understand the process by which it was determined to be the truth. A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McElyay for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review on iTunes so others can be encouraged as well. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day. Thank you.